Today, uh, we start a new series called Encountering Christ. Uh, and for the next few weeks, we're going to be, be looking into stories where Jesus encounters people. Uh, and, and there's something we can learn from that encounter. Something not only do we learn uh, about the nature of who God is, uh, but how that matters in our lives today. <clears throat> and so I'm really excited. Today, we will be going through Luke chapter 4. Uh, and it's, a, it's, an, it's an incredible story. I know last week, if you were here, it feels like we're talking about healings and spiritual powers and all those things. And, and guess what? We're going to continue talking about that today uh, and then find out how, how that really affects our lives and what Jesus is saying through this text. So uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 38 to 44, you can just hear these words. You could uh, read on the screen, but here's what the word of the Lord says. After leaving the synagogue, he encountered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. Then he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately she got up and began to serve them. Verse 40, as the sun was setting, all those who had, uh, all those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Demons also came out of, uh, out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not let them speak, because they knew uh, that he was a Messiah. Verse 42, At daybreak he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowds were looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the cities around. For I was sent for this purpose. So he continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and what you have to say to us. And I truly believe you want to speak to every single individual sitting here in this room today. God, that you look beyond our week, you look beyond our attitudes, the ways that we've fallen short, uh, and, and this morning you want to bless us, heal us, bring us new life as we walk out of these doors, that we would walk out as transformed people of joy, of hope, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, for those of you uh, that may know a little bit of my, about my story, uh, I grew up in Seattle. I spent a big chunk in California, but I grew up in Seattle. Uh, and when my parents first moved from Korea, I don't exactly know how they got uh, word of this, but in Seattle, uh, there were, and you can even see this today, pockets of neighborhoods uh, of where many of the Korean immigrants went to uh, for refuge, for solace, for, for people to be together, speaking their own language, eating the same foods, uh, j- just to find community. Uh, and my family somehow, again, caught wind of this, and, and we landed in, in the great neighborhood of, of Lake City in, in Seattle. Uh, and so uh, there was this huge Korean community that that essentially took over this entire apartment complex 
uh, and they lived together. They did life with one another. Children were running around. I feel like when I was little, I didn't know who my parents were because I was babysat and taken care of uh, by every family uh, in the complex. Uh, but without fail, I remember even as I was uh, thinking about this sermon, uh, I kept on getting this, this question as a child. Uh, and the question was this, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was time after time I got this question uh, as a young child. What do you want to be when you grow up? And and the funny thing is, in this Korean community, to that question, there was really only three right answers. Doctor, lawyer, uh, or if you were lazy, an engineer. Uh, And and so, uh, for those of you in this sanctuary today, if, and I know some of you guys are a doctor, lawyer, or uh, engineer, you are a better Korean than I am, uh, because I didn't quite make it, apparently. But there was something about these occupations uh, that they really wanted their children, including my, myself, as their quote-unquote child, to become, because uh, they found prestige, they, they knew that it would provide uh, a financial sense of sec- uh, security, uh, and ultimately it delivered high praise from people. And so though they would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, the idea was you really only had three options because of these reasons. And, and for decades, uh, this led to confusion, doubt uh, of what it meant to be called. Right? In this sub in this Christian subculture, there's different language, uh, particularly this language around calling. I feel like God's called me to this. What has God called you to? And so when we think about this question, and for many of us sitting in this room, we're, we're thinking about that question even to this day. But for years and years, this led to confusion and doubt and tension when it, became, when it, when it came to my understanding of my calling. Because I never wanted to be any of those three occupations. We need amazing lawyers and doctors and engineers and, and so forth. We, we need amazing people that, in those professions. I just never wanted to be any of them. And so then there was this tension, like, what do I do? What is my calling? And, and I remember even as a, as a young boy, I recently, and I may have told some of the story before, but my parents dug up this school project from when I was I think I was like in sixth or seventh grade. And the project was called uh, What I Want to Be When I Grow Up. And, it, and I assure you, it wasn't doctor, lawyer, engineer, or architect, or any of those three things. Uh, I wanted to be a personal bodyguard. <laughs> and it was, it, it, it was right after I saw, and there might be a slide for this, uh, I, I, it was after I watched the movie The Bodyguard. And I might be dating myself, but for some of you guys, you guys know, uh, it was starring Kevin Costner and the singer Whitney Houston, and I wanted to be Kevin Costner. Uh, Lo and behold, I didn't become that, and I grew out of that really quickly. Uh, But all that to say is I certainly didn't want to be what my parents or what these people wanted me to be. There's something about that when it comes to our calling. See, it seems to be a, a universal question. Not just me as a boy, a young boy, not just you as a child, but even today, uh, across all age and stage of life, 
we oftentimes run into this question of calling. What is my calling? What is your calling? What does it mean to be called? What am I called to? How am I called? These are all these questions that, that come to our, our minds and our hearts because we hear this a lot. And what we find in Luke chapter 4 uh, are a few things that we uh, we'll talk about, and the, and the first is this, that calling, as we unpack this, we understand that calling is a gift from God to bless the people of God, so we'll talk about that. Calling, number two, uh, comes with the price of temptation, uh, and three, calling is revealed on the road to intimacy, so, so though, that, though in Luke chapter 4 we see a lot of casting out demons and healing of sickness, uh, this really has to do with Jesus' calling and, and ultimately what it looks like for us to understand our calling. Uh, and I would present and, and I would argue that Jesus, uh, through the gospel of Luke, says these three things. Calling is a gift from God to bless the people of God. That calling is a pri- it always, always comes with the price of temptation and calling is revealed on the road to intimacy. Now, when we look at the text, it said that Simon, or Peter's mother-in-law, uh, was sick. And, and Jesus, it said that Jesus rebuked her fever. Her fever. And, and this, I, this, this word rebuke, epitamo, is a Greek word, the original language. The way it's translated is, is in the sense of casting out. And so oftentimes when we're sick, uh, or when we have a fever, we, you know, we get some sleep or we might take some medicine or, you know, some, some cold medicine or whatever it is, and it's gone. Now, of course, when someone's sick around you, you don't want to be around them, you don't want to catch it, but you don't necessarily think that they're filled with some kind of uncleanliness or like an evil spirit. Uh, at least I hope you don't. Sometimes we act like it, like, oh my God, don't, don't breathe on me, don't touch me. I don't want to be sick. And so this was very different. This word epitamo was like, saying, okay, you have this fever, but, but what you really have is, is a demon inside of you, or, or you have this evil spirit that needed to be cast, cast out. And so Jesus said, so Paul, uh, sorry, so Luke says that Jesus came and, and rebuked this fever out of Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, and so it goes beyond this idea of physical illness, uh, but it revealed this unclean and evil spirit that needed to be casted out. And this is really important as we, as we continue to unpack this. We'll get back to this. And the reason we see Jesus doing this is pretty clear. Uh, it's not because he was bored. It's not because he wanted to, to demonstrate his, his power, which, which he had, or his ability or his strength. It clearly says that Jesus was fulfilling God's calling for his life. That Jesus was fulfilling his calling. He uses words like, I must, I'm called to, this is my mission. He was called to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. It says, for I was sent by this purpose, verse 43. And so he did this. He he proclaimed the kingdom, the beautiful kingdom, the healing nature of the kingdom, the forgiving nature of the kingdom by actually living that out, 
by actually healing people, by helping people, by serving people. And this was actually a fulfillment in the Old Testament from Isaiah chapter 61. We won't get into it, but it says this Messiah will come, and you'll know that there's a Messiah because this Messiah will begin to heal people from his wings. And so in the first century, they wore shawls, and there was, there was prayer shawls, uh, and the side of their cloak was considered the wing. And so when this lady says, you know, in, in a different part of the gospel, she just wanted to touch the wing of Jesus. It was his cloak. And so what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 4 and all throughout the gospels is he is fulfilling a prophecy saying that you will know who the Messiah is because the Messiah will come uh, with the ability and the power to heal. And Jesus received that calling and said, the reason I'm healing, the reason I'm uh, casting out evil spirits, the reason why I'm serving others is because I am Messiah and I'm proclaiming the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And and after the healing, notice that people were looking for him. So after he was healing and said, okay, after he healed, the cast out the fever out of Simon's mother-in-law, it said that people were looking all over for him and didn't want him to leave. Didn't want him to go anywhere. See, ultimately what we're reading between the lines is that Jesus was a very popular man. Yet he says, even in his popularity, even in his need, people really needed him. And we all know what it feels like to be needed. It, it feels good, right? It feels good to be popular. It feels good to be liked. It feels good when people look for you and say, please don't leave. We love you. We want you to stay. This is what Jesus was experiencing. And yet, even in the midst of that experience, he says, I must leave. It says that Jesus left for a deserted place. And he got away from the crowds. Why? Because he knew what his mission was, was to continue proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. So he had to keep moving. He understood our first point. Calling is a gift from God to bless the people of God. See, what we must remember about our calling is that a calling doesn't come from your friends. It doesn't come from your parents. It doesn't come from your parents' friends, like my case. And ultimately, this is kind of good news and bad news for many of us. Your calling doesn't even come from your own passions and your own desires or your own wishes. It comes from God in God alone. That's why Jesus, when he was on the cross, he says, while he's suffering on the cross, he says, take this cup from me. This is not what I want to do. But if it's your will, then may it happen. I know that we see Jesus as uh, fully God because Jesus is fully God, but we forget oftentimes that Jesus is actually fully human too. When he was nailed on the cross and, and crucified, it was an actual physical painful experience for him. And not just a physical painful experience, but even mentally and emotionally and spiritually. He did not want to be on the cross. He says, Jesus, God, take this from me. But if it's your will, may it be so. Sometimes it's exactly what you don't want to do. 
Sometimes your calling is into an exact place that you don't want to go. Uh, I love in Acts, it says, go uh, into Judea, into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to proclaim the gospel, to teach the people of the good news of the kingdom, of who God is. And the reason why uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, says go into Judea, Jerusalem, that's like home territory. That's your city. That's your neighborhood. Judea, that's like your county. And then he says go into Samaria. Samaria is the place that people did not, especially the Jews, did not want to step foot in. They would actually travel the long way in order to avoid Samaria, because that's where the Samaritans were, the quote-unquote unclean people. And, and yet Luke through the, in Acts says, go to the comfortable places, because God will call you there. God doesn't want, God's mission for you isn't just to be miserable, uh, just sometimes God will call you to the place that you happen to want to be. But there's times where also God's going to call you into Samaria, the exact places you don't want to be. In fact, God is going to call you to the ends of the earth. It's God's prerogative. We think just because we don't want to go, that we shouldn't go. Or sometimes we feel like because we want to go, that's ultimately from God. And I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but it's something that we have to continue to unpack and to wrestle and navigate with God. Because the bottom line is calling is a gift from God and God only, not from your friends, not from your parents, not from your family, not from your professors, not from your coworkers, not from your, your supervisors. It comes from God and God only. And sometimes it's, it's completely antithetical to your passions and desires and sometimes it's completely aligned. We don't know. It's God's prerogative. My first two years of college, for those of you that know, uh, I went to uh, the greatest university in the state. And for, <laughs> and for those of you uh, that know the truth, know that it's Washington State University. I'm a kook, all right? And so, <laughs> so yes, thank you. Uh, so, you know, different opinions. You're entitled to it. Uh, and I was enjoying it. I was comfortable. I was living in a house uh, with literally like 75 other guys uh, in a fraternity. Uh, don't hold that against me. Uh, but I had, I had good friends. I was comfortable. I knew what I was doing. I had my major. Uh, I knew where my room. I mean, I just had everything settled. And then after my second year of college, I went on this mission trip uh, and this mission trip really changed my life. Uh, and it was a mission trip through a, not, through a uh, Christian parachurch organization uh, crew uh, that was at WSU. And because of that experience, that summer, I just felt God was calling me to leave. God was, I don't, I don't know if I heard an audible voice, but God affirmed in me, yes, WSU, is, this is what God said, the best college in the state, but I need you to go. Uh, and, you know, like I had this like stirring of confusion and after uh, lots of prayer and after a lot of counsel and, and just thinking things through, I ended up transferring to uh, Seattle Pacific University, a, a Christian college here in Queen Anne. Uh, and it was to pursue this calling, this vocational calling of, of ministry, 
And I don't know why uh, God wanted me to go to WC in the first place, or maybe he didn't. I don't know. Uh, but I remember leaving uh, spiritually, kicking and screaming, because I didn't want to go. But I felt like God was calling me to a place that was uncomfortable, that was different, in order for me to uh, continue in this calling of, of a calling that I never asked for to be in full-time vocational ministry. And I would say if it wasn't for my experience at WSU, I would have never gone to SPU. And if I've never gone to SPU, I've never gone to seminary, which led me to be in full-time ministry. The way that God works, we don't understand. We just have to be obedient and faithful. And the way and the reason that God calls us to the comfortable, to the uncomfortable, uh, to the beautiful, to the ugly, to the great, to the bad, to, to wherever it is, God calls us, and only God can call us, so that we can bless the world. So through that job, through that school, through that location, through wherever, wherever you're going, you're calling Hear this from me, your calling isn't to that particular job or that particular school or that particular neighborhood. Your job is an avenue where in which God uses you to bless others. And the calling is to bless others in that context that God leads you to. So don't make the dangerous mistake of confusing calling with career, because oftentimes those can be two different things. Don't make the dangerous mistake of confusing your calling with your career. They're two different things. You can pursue your calling through a job, but choosing a job, because oftentimes when we say calling, it's what do I want to be when I grow up? What, what job do I want to take? What is my calling? And, and sometimes it's right for us to use those words synonymously, but that's not always the case. There are two different things. You can pursue your calling through a job, but choosing a job is never the end goal. It's who you are, who you become in that job that makes it a calling. I love to see even Paul's example. Paul's example. Paul wanted to go to the Jews. Paul wanted, after his conversion, he said, I want to go to the Jews. I want to convert them. Those are my people. I know what language they speak. I know how they interact. I know how they move. And Jesus says, no. Your calling is to the Gentiles, the very people that he disliked. And he did it, uh, part of his job, he had all these side hustles, of what we would call them this, these days, uh, and his side hustle was a tent maker. He was a tent maker. He, he made tents and he sold tents uh, to the travelers, to the wanderers, particularly to, to the Gentiles, uh, to continue his mission to, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the people looking for tents. What was his calling? It wasn't necessarily to be a tent maker. Yes, God used his skill to make tents uh, for his calling to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And the way that he got to the Gentiles was his skill and the gift of the ability to make tents. And so we have to make that very clear. That our lives and our calling isn't just to a job. If our calling is to a job, there's going to be oftentimes disappointment. Because what happens if you don't get that job? What happens if you get fired? What happens if you lay it off? We don't know. And so that makes whatever you're doing so much more palatable and so much more enjoyable, so much more life. So whether you're cleaning or selling or teaching or fixing, whether your job is glamorous, whether it's not, guess what? It doesn't matter. 
because through that job, you can fulfill your calling to bless the world in whatever avenue that is. If you're working in a bank, you can bless others around you by showing integrity and using your gifts of, uh, of numbers and math or whatever it is. If your gift is in engineering, be a, be a good engineer. Create beauty, create whatever it is to make people's lives better. Bless the world. Your calling isn't just to be an engineer. It's to bless the world through that avenue because your gift, God's gifted you that way. If you're a teacher, love the children, teach. Make the world a better place by raising up this generation. By your gift of loving children, you're gonna bless the world. If you're a doctor, if you're in healthcare, whatever it is, if you're a coach of somehow, be the best doctor, be the best coach you can be. Because through that, you're calling us to bless the world. Whatever it is, you can find ways to bless the world, and that is your calling. But the, the application is this, and the question is this, are we willing to be open-handed with God's calling in our lives? See, oftentimes when we're so set saying, that job is my calling, we clench our fists and say, that's it, I want nothing else, I want nowhere else, I just want that, and we make a straight beeline to that. And sometimes it works out, but sometimes it doesn't. But don't miss the point. The point is oftentimes when we have that vision of saying, I know God's calling and that's it, it's a job, we forget that we need to let go. We need to release our hands and be open-handed and saying, there's maybe your prayer something like, that's, that's what I want to do, God. But may your will be done. That's where I want to go, God. But may your will be done be done and that's a tough question for us are we open-handed with God's calling in our lives because remember God calls us God's the only one that calls us and God calls us to bless the world it's not just a job it's who you are and oftentimes it comes through your job yes but let's not forget there's a difference between calling and career. Secondly, God, uh, call, or God's calling comes with the price of temptation. Again, in verse 42, it says, At daybreak he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowds were looking for him. Again, he was so popular. Have you ever done something or uh, got status or maybe got some possessions, and all of a sudden you're the most popular guy on the block? Popular guy on the block? This is kind of what happened to Jesus. I mean, I hear stories all the time when people win the lottery, and the next day, suddenly, they have new friends, and they have new uh, family members that they never even heard of. This is uh, kind of like what's happening with Jesus. He's able to heal. People are seeing that. Oh, my gosh, Jesus, now I want to be around you. Jesus, don't leave. Everybody is searching for you. That's the temptation that Jesus, pa- that Jesus uh, passed, if this was a test of temptation, he passed, but oftentimes do we? Because there's often times, uh, oftentimes as we consider what our calling is, there's a temptation to always want to do better, be better, make more money, maybe even turn blind spots, maybe even cheat. Maybe there's different temptations uh, of 
this desire to be bigger and better, which is kind of a, a veering off from the way that God has called us in whatever we do. So Jesus could have gained popularity. Jesus, even in the chapter before, when he was going through his temptations, it says the devil tempted him, tempted him three different times. And the devil says, if you do this, if you bow down to me, then I'll give you anything you want. If you turn this rock into bread, then you will no longer be physically in need. You will be satiated physically. If you bow down to me, you can have anything you see in these fields. There was all these temptations towards his calling. Jesus was called to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the kingdom, and he has all these temptations. Because the reality is, anytime we actually pursue the calling that God's called us to, you'll always be attacked with temptations. It'll be these voices, you're doing good, you're doing great. But, but maybe you should go over here, you're going to make more money. Maybe you should go over there, you're going to get a promotion. Maybe you should leave the, this job and, and go do that. You're, you're going to get higher praise. People are going to view you as, as a better human being. We get all these temptations that knocks us from our course of calling. And, and it's easy for your calling to turn into a downward spiral to sin. Your calling can turn into a downward spiral to sin really fast. And it's no wonder we see people in high positions making, make, making big mistakes. This includes pastors and religious figures. They're pursuing a calling that God has called them to, and in their calling, they're always going to be tempted with things and voices. And so it's no wonder we see a lot of failure. And then there's, a, uh, there's the other side of the coin of this, the temptation uh, not of I want to do better and be better, this temptation of I'm not good enough. You know, Phil, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too scared, I'm too, you fill in the blank. Because when God has called you to something, a voice might be you need to do better, you need to do better, but there might be a voice that says you're, you're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. Again, uh, you're too old, you're too young, you're too scared. Again, you can fill in your own blank. And the ironic thing is, most prominent leaders in the scriptures, they fall into all of these temptations. And God redeemed them. But there must, and there, and there comes, and there must be a time when you must move. And Jesus says, I know that there's people all looking for me everywhere because I did this healing, but I must go. In the English translation, he literally uses the word must. I must go. Because he understood that he must move because, and this is for all of us, you know that where you are called is a very sacred place. And that place is much more important than the place you'll make lots of money, much more important than the place you fear it's this holy ground that God calls you to, wherever that is. And so the way to combat these temptations of I'm not good enough or I want to do better, I want to do bigger, the way to combat these temptations is to identify your I must. What is your I must? Jesus uses those words, I must go. I must go to the other places, to Judea. See, in the midst of Jesus' temptation to stay and soak it all up, 
He says, I must proclaim, verse 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. One pastor calls it the holy discontent. And he uses this illustration of Popeye. You guys remember the cartoon Popeye? I know I keep dating myself with Popeye and the bodyguard, but hey, these were good stuff. And this pastor says, what is your holy discontent? What breaks your heart? What is your I must move? Uh, and for Popeye, and whenever this happened, he would uh, eat his spinach. And he says these words. He would, say, he would say, that's all I can stand. I can stand no more. He would say, I can, that's all I can stand. I can stand no more. What is your I must? What is your holy discontent? Figuring out what your I must is will help you overcome the powers and temptations that stray you away from your calling. Because calling always is paired with temptation. And lastly, calling is revealed on the road to intimacy. In verse 42, it says, Jesus departed and went to a deserted place. But in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, in this same story, uh, chapter 1, verse 35, it says that Jesus went to a deserted place uh, and it said he departed in order to pray. In order to pray. I love this. And, and maybe I'm biased because uh, I consider myself and I self-identify as, as an introvert. And so this seems very peaceful. He, he, he's like, enough of the crowds. I need to go into my space and just pray. And the challenge and the encouragement is this. Seek Jesus' voice. And and I can promise you that Jesus' voice becomes louder and more powerful than any lies or deceit and any temptations to sway you away from your calling. When we go back to Luke chapter 4, when it said that Jesus stood over her, this was an imagery of power over sickness, over deceit, over evil, over unclean spirits. And sometimes we need, to def- we need that in our own lives. And you can kind of picture it. It says that Jesus had bent over, uh, over uh, Simon's mother-in-law to cast out, to rebuke, epitomo, to rebuke the evil spirit of the fever. And, and so for many of us, we, we fall into this temptation, quote-unquote sickness, this is d- deceit, lies, Uh, of whatever it is, to sway us from what God wants us to do, of the place God wants us to go. And it says that Jesus is more powerful than that. And and Luke sets up this imagery. Jesus sets up, stands over her, an imagery of power. says, I'm more powerful than these lies and this fever, this illness and this deceit. So remove, get, get away from her. And the spirit left. And so calling, to understand our calling, is always, yes, it's always paired with with temptation, but it becomes more clear through intimacy. Seek Jesus' voice. Jesus, what are you calling me to do? I'm in this, this crossroads. Maybe some of us are in a crossroads. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Having the confidence that though you may hear a lot of voices, that Jesus' voice will come through, it will be the loudest, it will be the most powerful. Jesus stands over the temptations, over the evil, and says, out from me, silence. 
Literally, Jesus said, silent, do not speak of my name, is what Jesus says. And Jesus will speak that to you. I love this. So when people ask me, Prentice, how do I know God's will, God's calling, God's voice in my life? Because I'll be honest with you, I've never really heard Jesus' audible voice, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. Maybe if you have, I believe it. That more power to you. That's wonderful. I personally have never. So, and many others have not either. And they would always say, Prentice, how, how do you know God's calling? How do, you, how do I know God's will for my life? And my, my reply always is this, well, how well do you know God? How well do you know God? Because all over the gospel it says the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. You know, it's funny. It's because I'm a, I'm a first-time dog owner. I know a lot of us, if you're in Seattle, uh, it's almost prerequisite to own a dog. Uh, and so many of us in this room, I know we have dogs. And it's interesting to me, because I've, I've raised my dog, who is, I would say, still a puppy, but older, uh, but since she was born, essentially, and her name is Sela. Sela means the place you find rest or peace. That's, a, that's not my dog, okay? <laughs> just, just to let you know, that's not my dog. Maybe one day, but not today. Uh, I would have a group of friends, even my own family members, that would say, Sela, come, Sela, come. And her breed, she's a uh, Chesapeake Bay Retriever, they're known to be very stubborn. And she'll, like, look at you and not move. I mean, she will side-eye the heck out of you and say, I'm not coming. And, and then out of nowhere, I'll say, Sela, come. And immediately, she stands up and gets over here to me. And maybe she knows I have a treat, or maybe I'm bribing her. I don't know. But it's odd to me that anyone or many people will say, Sela, come, and, and she will not move. And yet, the moment she hears my voice, she'll come to me. And I know that's kind of a silly illustration, but I feel like a lot of people understand what it feels like to be a dog owner, to own dogs. But that situation, that experience always reminds me of this, where when we pray, when we seek God's voice, it becomes so clear. Now, love in chapter, chapter, uh, Psalm 37 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Notice it doesn't say, God will give you your heart's desire. That would be like treating God as a magic genie. It it doesn't say God will give you your heart's desires. It says God will give you the desires of your heart. There's a big difference. It says when we take delight in God, it's not that God gives us whatever we want. Again, that would be treating God like a magic genie. But God gives transform our hearts and implant longings in our hearts. And so when we delight in God, the longings that we have, we can be confident that it comes from God because we're delighting in God. And we can be confident that God has put those desires in our hearts because we're so connected and so delighted in God. The word delight in Hebrew is the word anang. Anang. And it's not just, oh, like, I like you, God. I, I, I find delight in you, God. This word anang means to be soft, to be pliable. And one Hebrew scholar calls the word anang dainty, to be dainty. It's a very passive word. It's a very passive word. And it says when we delight in God, it's saying, God, I'm soft, I'm pliable. Shape my heart. Mold it into the way you want it to be molded. Give me the desires you want me to have. 
And that's what happens. And so what does God want you to do? What is God calling you to do? What voices are you hearing? Do you need to hear God's voice? And maybe as I invite the worship team back up, this is a moment for you to uh, hear from God, to, to delight in God. And oftentimes, our relationship with God is so one-way. God, give me this. God, tell me what I should be doing. Even though it's asking, it's still commanding God to do something. God, I'm confused. Help me. And, and yes, these are all good prayers. But what would it look like for us to delight in God, even in our prayers, even for a moment, even this morning, to say, God, my heart is soft. My heart is pliable for you and your voice? What are you calling me to do? And maybe the prayer is, though, as I sit in this, in this space of being pliable and soft, remove any temptations, voices, deceit. Remember, your calling isn't just about your job. It's not God. What job are you calling me to? God, what should I be when I grow up? But maybe God is calling you right now to serve somewhere. Maybe in this church. Maybe this is a shameful plug, a shameless plug. If you want to serve in the church, if you want to get involved and not just be a spectator, maybe God is calling you to do something starting today. Maybe you want to move from being a guest of Bethany, move from being a guest to being a host to welcome others, to serve others. Do it. Maybe it's to get involved in another uh, nonprofit around West Seattle, Young Life, New Horizon, Homeless Shelters, UGM. I don't have time. I I don't have the resources. I don't have the skills. If God is calling you to this, those are all lies. You can do it. God will make a way. Because wherever God guides, I truly believe this, wherever God guides you, God will provide for you. Maybe God is calling you to be reconciled with somebody. God, I I don't want to go there and ask for forgiveness. God, I don't want to apologize. Well, guess what? Maybe today God God is calling you to make that phone call. Or maybe it's time for you to forgive. I don't know all your stories, and, and I don't know. I know that there's painful stories out there, and I'm not diminishing that experience. But maybe your experience today is to forgive, and God's calling you to forgive. Take delight. Be soft to what God has to say. God will reveal His calling regardless of these lies and temptations. Because remember, it's only God, God only, that gives you the ordained calling in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you called each and every one of us. It doesn't matter our story. It doesn't matter what we've been through. It doesn't matter any of our achievements. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter any of our failures. That each and every one of us called to bless the world and whatever through whatever avenue God reveal that to us whatever that avenue that might be we thank you for that calling God for many of us we fight off any temptation any voices any deceit that might sway us away from our calling 
May we hear you loud and clear because we know you're a powerful and loud and sovereign God. We thank you in your name we pray. Amen.